Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Shane Jackson's going to join the show, break down some college football bets with us coming up here in about 45 minutes from right now. We've also got Luke Fedlam, who's a NIL uh, sports attorney, who's going to join us coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. Talk a little bit about that. We've got uh, sports stock market, lie detector test. We continue on with our college football previews. Going to get to the Chiefs here in a bit. There was some big news for the KU receiver position. We'll get to all that in just a second. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. It won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. I think that after you listen to Shane's conversation today, you're going to be chomping at the bit to maybe get some futures out there on things like teams to make the playoff or the Heisman or or maybe a few lines on KU. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KLWN to get $100 in free bets once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements. One per customer, $100 issued as four dollars free bets. No purchase necessary for sweepstakes. Void where prohibited. Ends first day, DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms, dkng.co slash ks. We are officially one week exactly out from the start of the KU football season. In fact, football season in general, next week's exciting. We get uh, LHS football next Thursday here on KLWN, Free State football on Friday on the Bowl, and KU football on here, KLWN, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We also have High School Sports week, Weekly with the Eudora High football team on Thursday night. So all sorts of football coming up. But exactly one week from today, we have that KU football season opener taking on Tennessee Tech. Game starts at 7. Pre-game will start at 5.30. Me and Scott Chasen are going to have an extended pre-game show live at Big Mill from 4.30 to 5.30. We have all sorts of tickets to give away to the Kansas Speedway uh, or, or the Kansas Lottery Kansas Speedway 150 and 300 events that are going down uh, for the NASCAR event on September 10th. So you're going to come out, get some of that, get some free t-shirts. I think we might have some KU football tickets to give away. So come on out to that, say hi, get some free stuff. But being one week out as we continue on with our our kind of trend we've been doing here, when we're that many weeks out, we've been looking at things that go with that number. Well, one week out, Kenny Logan was the number one tackler on Kansas. Kenny Logan was the number one tackler in the Big 12. A season ago, which on its own for Kenny Logan, you did a good job. You did what you were being asked to do. Guy came up to you. You made the tackle. But from a Kansas perspective, that's not a good sign when your safety has that many tackles. You do not want your safety leading the team in tackles. That means that they're getting to the second level. That means that they're getting eight, nine yards on a run. That can't happen this year for KU to be successful. 
Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. I was about to mention that. I was going to say, well, you know, hang on a second. Is, your, is the safety being the number one tackler on your team a good thing? No, it is not. <laughs> I think you answered that question pretty affirmatively. No, it's it's really not it's really not how you want your defense to, to work where your safety is making the majority. I mean, unless you've got unless you've got a guy who's like a yeah he's a like box a safety hybrid right like, a, you like know. if Craig Young leads the team he's kind of yeah. like a, a hybrid right that's fine yeah but Kenny Logan obviously that's that's not what he is he's a prototypical safety and to lead the not only KU but also the entire conference in tackles signals that what, we, what we've already known which is KU's run defense was bad last year. It was not good, and it's going to certainly have to improve this year. And like you said, great for Kenny Logan, but I think if you want Kenny Logan to lead your team in any statistic, it's not tackles. You want it to be like interceptions or mm-hmm. passes defended or something like that, right? So good on Kenny Logan, but this season, let's have Kenny Logan lead the team in interceptions or something that's not <laughs> tackles. Yes, so that's less of a stat about, again, like good job, he, he accomplished that, and but – you do not want that to happen. And have one of those yeah, linebackers or something, uh, kind of one of the middle guys lead that. One is the amount of receptions that Jason Bean had last season. I do not remember that happening at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't either, actually. It went negative one yards. Interesting. So I don't remember if that happened after Jalen was the quarterback or if it was on a trick play. Would you assume that Jason Bean, or I guess if you were just talking about DraftKings, mm-hmm. if DraftKings had a bet, Jason Bean over under one reception for the year. Mm. Over? I'm taking over. You think he's going to get two receptions this year? Well, I mean, you could get one off a trick play. I don't know. You could get both off a trick play. I, I, I don't know. Then again, like two, maybe one. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that he at least gets one though. So I would be pushing. If you okay. made it one and a half, I We're, think I'd okay. take the under. If it was one and a half, you'd say under. Yes. Would you agree? Well, we've just had all this discussion about him possibly. I mean, I know it was kind of shut down by the coaches and whatnot, but obviously there's been some discussion about. He could play different different positions. He's one of the mm-hmm. fastest guys on the team. Well, you know, whatever, this, that, and the other, right? So maybe later in the year it does turn out that he ends up getting on the field more of a in a receiving capacity, right? Yeah. I think you're just kind of playing the time game almost there. Like you're just saying that, well, eventually, maybe he'll. But he did it last year when he was a quarterback. So why not have more of and him he only this needs, year? He only needs one more, right? Only one. It's not like we're asking him to get 10 receptions. Yeah. He needs two. I do think, though, that the idea of him playing like all these other positions, I don't really going to – at least early in the season. Yeah. I don't think we're going to no. see much of it. I agree. I, I agree. The The coaches have, I think, pretty definitively shut that down. At least, I, I like I said, at least in yeah. the first couple games of the season. Yeah, maybe it gets to game eight and he's like, all right, Jalen has, has securely planted himself in this position. I want to get on the field. Like, find other ways to use me. And maybe that becomes a conversation down the road. But I think definitely early in the year, uh, not something I'm really expecting outside of a few trick plays or a few weird formations here. Yeah, there. I mean, they could bring him in as like a as like a power rusher or something. You know what I mean? Like a QB like power wildcat, but not really because he is a quarterback. But yeah, but he could yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess that wouldn't, if he's playing that position, that wouldn't qualify him to receive the No, it wouldn't. <laughs> so. Unless a trick play. <laughs> Okay, uh, one is the number of individual sacks had by each of these players. Jeremy Robinson, Caleb Sampson, Gavin Potter, and Rich Miller. And those are, I think, in the case of Robinson and Sampson, guys that 
you would highlight and say you would expect them to get more than that this season. For the case of Potter and Miller, it's a little more difficult to verse out like how many sacks is a middle linebacker going to get or a will linebacker going to get because it's partially blitz-related. Gavin Potter has shown a nice little affinity during his career as a pass rusher, but with Robinson and Sampson, like Robinson, we've heard a lot that he's kind of caught on to the heels of Malcolm Lee for that strong side defensive end spot, and we'll see who ends up being the starter between those two. It's clear that both are going to play, though. Caleb Sampson, I think kind of same thing. Like He might end up being the starter next to Caleb Taylor, or it could be like Sam Burt. But either way, Caleb Sampson is going to play. I think you need more production from the pass rush game because even if Lonnie Phelps is that guy that can give you seven, eight, nine sacks in a season, you need production from elsewhere. We've seen too many times in years past where maybe KU does have like one solid pass rusher, but they don't have the depth of the rest, and then teams just start double-teaming them, and it kind of hurts your pass rush ability and everything. KU has to start generating more of a rush on the passer, and those are two guys that automatically I highlight and say, okay, you had one sack last year. That should go up by a couple sacks. It's a little harder for Samson because interior defensive linemen just generally don't get as many, but still. Yeah, I, I think the question here is if Lonnie Phelps comes in and is kind of what people expect him, expect him to be, which is a borderline elite star-level pass rusher, in theory, that should open up more opportunities for some of these other guys to, to have an opportunity to have more of a one-on-one matchup to get to the quarterback, right? So I think the question maybe for some of these guys like Robinson – will be, is Lonnie Phelps that dude? And if he is, that's going to give you opportunities to make some plays, and then it's up to you to capitalize on that. And like you were saying, if if KU, if KU has one guy who's a really great pass rusher, in this case Phelps, and he's getting chipped or double teamed, right, other players have to capitalize off that and take advantage of their matchups, mm-hmm. right, in order to maximize the effectiveness of the pass rush uh, for KU. It's It's a... It's a pretty common sense football analogy, really, which is, you know, if you got one guy, if you have five offensive linemen and you got one guy getting double teamed, everybody else has one-on-one. And if they can win those, boom, there you go. You're making something happen, you know. So that's that, to me, is where I think it could get, it could get interesting. And you're, you're really, based off last year, you are really leaning pretty heavily on Lonnie Phelps panning out to be yeah. pretty successful, right? And... What if he's not, or what if he's not that right away? Then what? Yeah, no, that's. I mean, that's a good point. That it just it it makes it a lot harder because then there's a lot of pressure on those guys to increase in sacks because of what you lost with Kyron Johnson from the season before. But I, I do think they'll get more production out of those guys. One is also the amount of non-conference wins that KU had a season ago. They uh, got the one victory over South Dakota. Now, it is also the amount of conference wins that KU had last season. They got the one Ah, over Texas. One plus one equals two. Yeah. So, I think this year, you know, why why not double both? Get the Duke game. There's your second non-con win with Tennessee Tech. And then for Big 12, get your second Big 12 win for the first time since whatever that was, 2008. Yeah. I mean, it's... When it's you, possibility. When you, when you put it that way, it's it doesn't sound very great. But. No, it doesn't. No, just win two games. What's the big deal? But, yeah, I mean, obviously the Duke game is a, a popular pick for for KU to get it done. I don't I don't think anybody really expects much from them going to Houston. Well, what would you if I if I like gave you the the choice of 
what's more likely, Kansas going to two non-conference wins or two Big 12 wins? Because obviously ah. obviously Tennessee Tech and Duke are probably your two most winnable games. So that would immediately make you say, of course it would be the non-conference games. But the beauty of taking the Big 12 side of that is you have way more bullets to fire. You do. You have nine games. Yeah. That nine games to win two, mm-hmm. whereas you have three to win two. This is a math the, game. In the non-con. Yeah, I think it's interesting. and uh, I But I think the argument you would say then is, hypothetically, if KU was good enough to win two conference games, they probably were good enough to win their two non-con games as well, right? Like, like yeah. if, if they're going to be... But what if they have like a late resurgence like last year? Uh, yeah. Well, we talked about it er- uh, earlier in the week. You know, they have... They have Texas Tech, Texas, and K-State mm-hmm. as the last three games. But, I, I mean, when you look at, like, West Virginia, TCU, games like that, like, if KU is going to be good enough to beat those teams, you would assume that they're going to be in a position to where they would probably beat both Duke and Tennessee Tech, right? So yes. then at that point you're saying you're basically saying they're going to win four, I guess, at that point. But I don't know. I mean, who knows with, with Duke? And obviously – with some of these games coming on the road in the Big 12, and we know their Big 12 road track record, maybe maybe that makes you, I don't know, question it a little bit. I I would still go with the, the non-con, I think, in that scenario. But, like, yeah, I, I think that sometimes we've we've almost, like, jumped the gun of this idea that, like, oh, they'll, they'll beat Duke, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a sure thing at no, all. No, not at all. I mean, and that's why you see people. That's why you've seen multiple people predicting KU going one and eleven. Yes, because if you do lose to Duke, that's going to be the expectation. Which I guess brings me to uh, this last number as part of this being one week out. Obviously, Kansas is going to be favored against Tennessee Tech. Is one going to be the number of games that Kansas is favored in this season? We already know they're a double-digit underdog against Houston. Early lines would indicate they're going to be a double-digit underdog against West Virginia. Maybe that changes, though. Actually, no. There's probably nothing that could make that change because you're playing West Virginia Week 2, and even if you beat Tennessee Tech by 80 and they lose to Pittsburgh by 60, Pittsburgh's still a top-25 team. You still played a three-win FCS team. So no matter what, you're going to be the underdog against West Virginia. You're going to be the underdog against Houston. If they lost by 60, it it would go to single digits, I would think. Oh yeah, yeah, maybe but, like but they eight would be, or nine. KU would not be the favorite. Though. No, no, of yeah. course not. No, I agree with that. <laughs> the line yeah. would be a lot lower, sure. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, you struggle to to find the spot where KU, and that doesn't mean like KU wins games all the time that they're not favored. You know why? Because they're like never favored, and so anytime they That's win, or they win, you know, however x number of games yeah. that they're not favored because they're never favored. Like what was the Texas game? I want to say it was like twenty eight points or something like it that. It was. It was in. The it was 20s. pretty exorbitant. I'm pretty sure it was in the twenties. I don't know that it really matters if you think about it like that, but if Kansas is having a good enough season, you would think that they should. Like, if you're going to win four games, you would think somewhere along the way you would be favored, right? But I don't know if I, I don't know where I mean, that would be. I think, obviously, you look at the Duke game, mm-hmm. but I think you'd have to have some pretty extreme circumstances happen to be favored, right? You'd have to beat the brakes off Tennessee Tech and look pretty good against Houston and West Virginia and probably beat West Virginia to be favored against Duke. And Duke's first three games before they play KU are at home against Temple, at Northwestern, and versus Northern North Carolina A&T. So I would think Duke is going to be 2-1, and one, maybe? I mean, Northwestern's really bad. I don't really know that much about Temple, actually. 
And North Carolina Temple's very bad this year. Okay, so they could be three and zero. Yeah. So what if what so if Duke three is three and zero? Kansas is one and two. And one and two Kansas. Like it might be a pick 'em. It might be Duke yeah. minus three. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I'm I understand. I get I get where you're coming from with that. Now here's a fun one. If they do, if Kansas does like upset West Virginia, and um, Houston the week before they play Kansas, I believe they play Texas Tech, which is obviously another Big Twelve team. Let's say Texas Tech beats Houston by 21 points, and you I, see Kansas in the same conference beat stop. West Virginia, start two zero. What? What? Stop! Stop! What went wrong? I don't like where this is going. I'm just saying. What if KU's favorite against Houston? Houston's a top 25 team right now. They are not if they lose by 21 to Texas Tech. They're not going to drop out. They're well, not gonna... I'm just saying. Yeah, they would have to. KU would have to beat West Virginia by like 50. At least, and I don't even think that would be enough. Mm. No, if they beat I mean, him by think 50. about the national. If they beat him by fifty, and Texas Tech <laughs> beats beats up on Houston. But hang on, think about the national stigma around Kansas. People just see Kansas and assume they're bad. So even if they yeah. see two and zero Kansas, they're probably still going to think they're bad. That's fair. Now I understand that the guys in Vegas probably are still watching all the games, and you know they understand all that stuff. But that would be like from a from a Vegas perspective. That would be so reckless, like just so reckless, to favor Kansas. Like I said, I don't care if they beat Texas. I don't care if they beat West Virginia by eighty, mm-hmm. and and Texas Tech smokes Houston. That would just be one of the most all-time reckless lines. Yeah, I I don't think they would get favored against Iowa State or TCU later in the year. Texas Tech, you're on the road. I, I think that's the only one. It'd have to be the Duke game that makes it more than one. I mean, I guess if TCU's like really horrible, maybe. Maybe, but it's still early enough in the season that like it would be hard for TCU's record to be that bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not like it's the last game of the year where TCU could, could be, be like- three and eight, right? <laughs> and KU's playing them at home. Yeah. At that point, yeah. they could be two and four, and they're still probably going to be favored. That's because that's probably still going to be as the yeah. same or better than what KU's record is. Yeah. That'll be kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's I think it's one. Like I said, unless unless the extenuating circumstances around the Duke game fall into place, and even then. I think you and I are in agreement that even then, if that's like what we laid out does happen, we're looking at Kansas minus three, two. Yeah. Like they're not going to be favored. Yeah, by it's a lot. not a huge line. Yeah. No, not at all. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's talk a little Chiefs and uh, the latest news. Not great news for the KU receiver room on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. <laughs> Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Check them out if you're looking for any events upcoming in the fall here at Venue 1235. Uh, Before we get into some Chiefs stuff, I I think we probably should talk about the uh, arrests that were made of Tanaka Scott and Trevor Wilson. I don't really want to spend as much time getting into the story. It's kind of a weird, convoluted tough thing to figure out but at the end of the day you just realize that oh yeah that's not good right so I don't don't want to read through the story and be like bad not good because you should understand that by now Um, but these are two players who like Tanaka Scott we heard a lot about uh, in those like KU football media day we heard a good amount about him over the course of camp you're talking about a redshirt freshman receiver with a lot of size and a lot of straight line speed. Trevor Wilson is kind of your home run threat. Comes over from Buffalo. He's one of your top receivers a season ago outside of Kwame Lasseter. Good player for the special teams game, for hitting long balls, for just catching like receiver screens and making guys miss. 
What does this mean for the receiver room? Well, the first thing we have to figure out here is what's going to be the punishment for these guys. Is this something bad enough that is going to make them leave the team? Again, you look at the details of everything, and it's kind of tough to figure out like what exactly happened here to where I'm not expecting that to be the case, but who knows? Maybe more stuff will come out, and that could change. I would certainly imagine there's going to be some sort of suspension, at the very least, involved with this. And to that notion, these are two guys who are probably top five or top six on the team in the receiver depth chart. Yeah, probably top five. Um, because you're looking at, you know, we, we were talking a lot about, okay, Doug Emelian and Luke Grimm are maybe your inside receivers. And then you have LJ Arnold, uh, Trevor Wilson, Tanaka Scott, maybe Quentin Skinner on the outside. Well, now you eliminate two of those guys from the possible week one depth chart and the... I guess glass half empty view of this is that a receiver room that already had a lot of questions, a receiver room that is looking for guys to break out, just got a little more thin, which is not great. The glass half full view of this is that it's going to create opportunity for some guys to step up and be just that, that maybe you wouldn't have got to see as much of, that maybe you're excited to see. And also because they have so many good running backs, they have so many good tight ends, Maybe there just won't be as many formations where you're playing three or four wide receivers anyway. Yeah, I, I don't think this is going to hinder. I guess it depends on the length of time. I mean, to be clear about the miss. Tennessee Tech game, it has zero effect on them yeah, I would, being able to win the game. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say it's like not, they need going to win regardless. To, not going to hinder uh, that much, at least for the first game. I agree with you on that. And even furthermore, we've already been kind of talking about it. I mean, again, we haven't quite heard Lance Leipold or Andy Kolnick come out and just straight up say it, but the general vibe is that it seems like they're going to lean into the run game pretty heavily early on, right? With Which makes a lot of sense. That's going to be the strength of their offense and their team, really, is the running back situation. And like you said, they have a lot of different tight ends as well. So, if some of those tight ends can be more receiving threats, obviously it's a, it's a blow to the receiving room, but Tanaka Scott is somebody who I think he played in two games last season, redshirted still with the new rules where you can redshirt while playing. And he was getting quite a bit of discussion during media days, but I don't know that he was going to come in and be the number one starter or the number two starter game one, right? And Trevor Wilson's a bit more interesting because he was kind of more of a bona fide guy. But but again, I think generally the discussions we've had is your top receivers, you're probably looking at Lawrence Arnold being your number one guy, you would hope. And then out of the slot, Luke Graham or Doug Emelian or something like that, right? So from that standpoint, your what KU would probably define as their top weapons are still still there. And obviously they'll still have the running game and still have their tight end situation. But it could I guess it could stunt Jalen Daniels, maybe potentially, if they're trying to air the ball out and he doesn't have as many guys to throw to. But yeah, I think this is going to come down to Again, it's as as you were saying that it's kind of convoluted what the, what exactly happened around the situation. So basically, we just want to wait and see kind of what comes up, what comes out of it, and what kind of time missed, if any, of these guys will have. So I think at this point, it, it's it, certainly in the short term, like for Tennessee Tech, it doesn't it shouldn't change much. I think, but beyond that, it's just kind of a wait and see. I feel like. Yeah, I think that if you're looking at like who maybe has the most to gain here, because even with these guys battling for spots in the depth chart and everything, Luke Graham and LJ Arnold and Doug Emelian, like all those guys were going to play regardless. Maybe this just yeah. gives them a few more snaps or whatever. 
Stephen McBride and Quentin Skinner are the two that I look at the most where it's like, you know, now you have a real opportunity to get on the field in that first game next Friday and kind of show what you can do. And in the same way that Jared Casey took advantage of opportunities last year when guys got injured, in the same way that Jalen Daniels took advantage when Jason Bean got injured. Obviously, different situation, not injury-related, but it gives you an opportunity on the field to make some plays and establish yourself in the offense, establish yourself as someone who should be getting the football. So uh, I'll be interested to see what sort of punishment comes out involved in this. And if it has an, I, I believe they'll release a two deep coming up early next week. That would be my guess. I'm assuming yeah, they know. won't be on it. I remember, uh, remember Lance Lightbolt said he, he basically asked, when, do I have to release one? <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, I thought it was I like NCAA rules. I think or maybe it it's is. conference rules. I, I think it is, but I mean, I don't know what I think from the, from what it sounded like, whatever the deadline to, to do that is, it sounds like KU is going to wait until <laughs> that exact. Oh moment. yeah. I, I remember there was one time where, uh, because, again, it was like, and I don't know if it's NCAA rules or conference rules, although the more that I'll be interested with, like, betting becoming legalized, teams are going to have to start disclosing injuries more than, like, in college. They they can really hide that stuff pretty easily. I'll be yeah. curious how that affects it. But nonetheless, um, there was a week that, like, Michigan released their two deep, and there oh, was, like, a bunch that, of, like, yeah. fake names <laughs> on it or something. I do remember that when Jim Harbaugh, like, kind of yeah. told them. In, or, and then, of course, in recent years for KU, you've had situations where it's been, like, Half the team has been it's or, or, yeah. or, or, or. So it's like you don't even really know. No, no. I'm sure there will be some ors on there. But, yeah, you're right. It would be like every position. Yeah, it would be like 30 guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's uh, switch over to some Chiefs real quick. Last night, the the big headline of the game was how it started. And you have the, the I guess, moment that was given to Len Dawson after he passed away. And they did the huddle like how he used to do it back yep. when he was the quarterback of the Chiefs. Mahomes came in. It was cool. The The official said that the, the penalty was on number 16 um, just to – which although now that I think about it, is that kind of messed up? To I give, think it's kind of messed up. To give someone who just died the penalty. I think it's kind of messed up. Um, But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess you could say Mahomes, like, trending in the wrong direction, started at zero <laughs> passing yards, Went ne- the, the offense went negative when he was yeah. in the game. I don't know. Well, it, but Green Shane Bouchel looked good. Is he coming? Green Bay declined the penalty, so did he go negative? Mm. He would have. Okay, Shane Bouchelle actually looked pretty good, though. <laughs> he did, though. He did. Now, listen. Uh, one of those touchdowns he threw to Bushman, mm-hmm. I could have made that throw. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I could have made that touchdown throw. So let's not get too crazy on Shane Bouchelle. Hey, I like Shane Bouchelle. I like him, too. I, I think he might make the active roster now. It's tough with you only have such a limited space, and it's like, do you really want to carry three quarterbacks? Uh, the tight end spot it got more interesting with the way that Bushman played, yeah. but then he but then he, he got injured, his, he right? Broke his clavicle, yeah. So. so I would assume he can go on like the IR, and then they'll have to make a decision that'll just kind of push it down the road. But maybe somebody else will be injured by the time he comes back, and then everything's all good there. I think that you know you had a lot of backups playing. Like there were times that the starters played. To me, what ended up being the biggest story of the night it was two. It was that continued battle at running back, and it was. The secondary, I think, has some questions now. They're not all like play based, but you went into this thing with a very young secondary. And Rashad Fenton has, has been a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries already. He continues to be injured through preseason right now. The one that scares you is Trent McDuffie got a concussion. Now we're like two well, weeks the, away. He's in the protocol. I don't know if he yeah, officially got that's a, a good concussion, point. but he's in the protocol. That's a good point. Yeah. Clarify that. Yeah, that that is the case. And we are 
two and a half weeks from the first game of the season for the Chiefs. That's still I, concerning, though. It is. It is. You don't want to see that happen to a guy that you basically risked it all on a young secondary and were like, oh, but this guy is going to be a starter. We brought him in as a draft pick. Now it's like, oh, we don't even have that guy possibly. And he Josh, back. Josh Williams looked bad. He did. He had a bad game. He really struggled. He did not have a good game at all. Which that's not a doubt. Now, I will say Jalen Watson, who is a seventh-round pick, he continues to play well. It felt like at the beginning of camp it was Josh Williams being the guy, and, and as things have gone on with more games, Watson seems to have secured his spot on the roster, especially with possible injuries there, but you're counting on a really young secondary now, and if McDuffie's injured, that's even more so. Ronald Jones, see ya. You think so? Goodbye. I thought he looked pretty good, though. No, I, it didn't matter. But not good enough. It doesn't matter. It, it, it There was nothing he could have done last night that I think would have made it to where he would make the roster. Well, I mean, Isaiah Pacheco looked good, too. I, I thought that was an interesting test study for because everything we had really seen from Isaiah Pacheco early on in the first couple preseason games is mostly against first and second string defenses. He was getting a lot of run against like third string defense last night. And you saw him have his best game of the preseason. Okay, so it makes the, sense. The Packers kept their number two guys on the offense at least. They kept him in for a while. Mm -hmm. Like Jordan Love played a lot and he threw a lot of passes. Did not look good. <laughs> Who will be on their respected team longer? Shane Bouchelle with the Chiefs or Jordan Love with the Packers? That's a good question. I feel like I feel like you have to go Jordan. Like you just have to go Jordan. Do you though? I think you have to. I well, mean, what happens? He, I mean, where's he going to go? Is it, are they going to trade him? Is he going to sign somewhere? Is he going to leave? He's going to be a free agent in two years, and I don't know what. It seems like Aaron Rod. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is good enough to keep playing that long. You never know if he wants to or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, then you get into the whole question of like, how many guys can replicate what Tom Brady has done, though? Realistically, right? Like, like is Aaron like Aaron Rodgers? He's like, isn't he? He's like thirty eight, right? Thirty seven, thirty eight, something like that. Like so, 30s. I mean, how many years really does he have left that he still wants to continue playing? I mean, what if it's just a Packers decision like, hey, this guy is not the future? That could be That could be true, too. That could be true, too. Because based on what I watched last night, yeah, he doesn't look like he's going to be doing anything anytime soon. Well, it's like with Shane Bouchelle, the is expectation is, is there Shane was Bouchelle, never like... Is he the next Chad Henney? That's what I'm saying. Like, the expectation is not, hey, sign this five-year, $100 million contract and be our starter. The expectation is, like, can he be the backup? And if you end up backing up Patrick Mahomes, I don't know, you could be the backup for five. Like, Chad, yeah. like you said, Chad, Chad Henney. Yeah, Chad Henney's been on the team for, like, quite a while yeah. as the backup. Just chilling. So what if you have five more years of Shane Bouchelle? Chad Henney even had to come in. He saved the Chiefs in the playoffs. So Shane I mean, Bouchelle could do it? Oof. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to think about that. Answer I was looking. I don't for. want to think about that right now. Okay. Well, let's not think about it. You know what I do want to think about some uh, future betting odds for college football. Let's talk about it with Shane Jackson. He's going to join us on the other side to break down some futures, some Heisman bets for the upcoming college football season. That on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Well, it is week zero of the college football season. Games start up on tomorrow with uh, certainly the Northwestern Nebraska game pretty big, but the real slate of college football starts up next week here. Uh, we've been doing our, our conference previews and everything and finishing up with kind of our picks for the playoff and whatnot. I I'm curious, when you look at the college football playoff this season, as we're joined by Shane Jackson here, I don't even think I said that yet, um, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia are by far the top three favorites to win it all would you be going with anyone else like is the value taking someone else or is that just not smart to take someone else 
Yeah, uh, I mean, generally speaking, this is the the sport. If you're going to kind of eat the chalk and, and and play the favorites, this is the sport to do so, especially in in this specific market. Uh, over the last 20 years, only three teams have won the national title with preseason odds of 40 to one or longer. Uh, you know, the LSU, the, uh, one of the recent ones, and Auburn and Ohio State uh, in the first college football playoff year. So yeah, it's uh, generally speaking not a not a, a market you want to you know chase kind of a longer shot. So uh, those three stand out. Uh, you know, Clemson interests me if you can get them around ten to one. But other than that, I am I am not a uh, eager to bet on any other teams when we all think it's going to be Alabama versus Ohio State. Well, are you, are you better off betting because if if you basically put a bet on Georgia and Ohio State? it basically cuts your odds to where it would essentially be if this team wins, like I would be making around the same amount that Alabama would win. So what? which side would you kind of lean on there? Would you bet on Georgia and Ohio State or just bet on Alabama? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, would, I wouldn't I would even really factor in Georgia too much into it. I would be kind of surprised if, if that defense, with all that they lost, if they were able to kind of reload and win it again this year. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, winning back to back is very hard, and, and even Alabama struggles with that. So, uh, to me, the the equation goes: yeah, it, it's Ohio State versus Alabama. Uh, you know, I, I I've long, even last year when Alabama was kind of in the mix, I was like, well, we can't have Alabama win it this year because they're going to win it next year. So it just feels kind of like a foregone conclusion, uh, unless you really, really think uh, Ohio State can fix their issues on the defensive end with a new coordinator. Uh, I, th- I would bet Alabama right now. The only bet I've actually made is, is kind of a, a sucker bet in Utah at way longer odds. Uh, but that's just because I wanted to root for the Utes. Uh, uh, and I know a lot of people do. Okay. So maybe that would be your answer. You also brought up Clemson in the previous answer for, forget the title. If, if you're just betting on a team to make the playoff, where would you be looking at maybe some dark horses or would you go back to the well of a team like Clemson? Yeah. Uh, I mean, at, at the start of the off season, Utah was the team I had circled uh, at the time when I bet them to win the national title was 80 to one. Uh, they didn't have college football playoff odds, but uh, you know, there was other ways you could bet Utah having a good year. Right. I feel like the value is kind of dried up by now because everyone is on the Utes uh, by the end of the summer. So yeah, I think, this is really Clemson is, is an opportunity to buy a low. That's, you know, if you want to add them to your portfolio, I think, yeah, 10 to 1 to win the title. I haven't seen playoff odds particularly, but uh, if there's something out there, you could, you could bet them that. Uh, and then, yeah, winning their conference, or winning their conference at minus 120. Uh, I just think there's, a, there's an opportunity to buy a low on Clemson that we really haven't had uh, since, you know, four or five years ago before Trevor Lawrence. So, uh, you know, they interest me a lot, especially with what they bring back on the defense side of the ball. Is there any teams at the top in any of these, whether it's to win a conference or to go to the playoff or to win the title, that you're just kind of fading, that, that you're out on right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of along the lines with one of the reasons why I'm, I'm big on Utah is because I was, I'm was i a lot lower than the market on USC. I, I, I'm skeptical that this all works right away in their first year. I understand they have a lot of talent coming in, but uh, I, I would be – I would be skeptical that it all clicks right away. And, and, you know, they're obviously ranked pretty highly in the preseason bowl, but even more than that, you know, my, I, I rate them pretty outside the top 25. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quick to change my opinion if they, you know, start clicking, but I think there's questions on the defense side of the ball. I don't think they have the depth to necessarily compete. I think, you know, obviously I imagine USC is going to be very much in the mix in the future, 
but I feel like this is kind of Utah's year to win that conference and make their run at this, and then maybe USC is going to kind of have its, its claim on this conference in, in the very near future. My biggest worry with Utah is that, uh, especially like you look last year, how they finished the season after starting a bit mm-hmm. slow, is they go out that first week of the season and they lose a close game on the road against a Florida team that winds up winning, I don't know, six, seven, eight games in the SEC, and that just prevents the entire Pac-12 from making the playoff because yep. it's like, well, you couldn't even beat our you know seventh best team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that's a very fair, always a very fair uh, concern when talking about a Pac-12 team. So you know, Utah, they, I think this game, that game started as a pick'em, and Utah could become the two-and-a-half, three-point favorite at this point. And honestly, now I wouldn't bet them because there is very real concern that this doesn't this doesn't work out in the first week uh, for them. And they could lose in the swamp. Um, but if they do win, I imagine, you know, I would make them a betting favorite every game the rest of the way. Uh, I just think they're really good in the trenches. That's kind of the Utah way. I know they kind of lost their best weapon on offense. But, you know, when Cameron Rising took over, this was a team that was definitely, you know, fifth or sixth best in the country. Uh, at the end of the season, and I think we saw that with the kind of the thriller in the Rose Bowl. So uh, I, I, you know, I do like the youth. I think a lot of people do, and so there's probably not as much value this close to the season. We're talking with Shane Jackson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Moving over to the Heisman Trophy, it's kind of rare that the favorite ends up winning it all. But we've seen a lot of years where maybe someone who's round the favorites, there have been some guys off the board too. When you think of Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson or whatnot. When you bet on the Heisman philosophically, are is there anything you do like? To, are you never bet on anybody but a quarterback, or never bet on the favorite, or anything like that? Is there anything that you do to try to, uh, I guess, sharpen up your odds there? Yeah, actually, that's. I mean, a lot of ways. The way I attack the MVP is how I attack the Heisman. Right, you're you're focusing on quarterbacks on teams that you expect to be winning teams, and then once you do that, you can really reduce the options. Right, you don't have. You know, that kind of dead money in this market if you're betting, you know, these running backs or receivers that are just not going to win. Uh, you know, since 2018, the last 22 award winners have played quarterback. You know, over that span, all but two were on teams that won double-digit games. So you have to see, you know, not only that it's going to be a quarterback, you have to see that this quarterback is going to be on a kind of double-digit win team or a, or a team that's going to be in the college football playoff mix. And, in fact, you know, only Lamar Jackson is the only player that, uh, won the Heisman, but his team didn't make the college football playoffs since this whole thing began in 2014. So, like, when you reduce it to just those kind of facts and that history, uh, it helps kind of shape how you're going to bet the Heisman. And so, knowing all that, are there anyone that, that kind of sticks out to you in the Heisman odds right now? Yeah, I'm going to start to sound like a little bit of a broken record, but uh, I got tricked into DJU uh, a few nights ago. Uh, he was listed at 80-1 to 1 out here at a Vegas shop. Uh, and uh, that was way too good. I mean, I, I project uh, Clemson to you know be a team that's going to win double-digit games, be in the college football playoff mix, uh, and it's a team that was in, you know not that far off from that last year when they had not competent quarterback play. So uh, the idea here is that you're going to hopefully have that this year. Um, you know, I think we've been wrong before. We've kind of buried guys too soon, uh, and so maybe there's. You know, DJU, it all clicks for him. You know, he maybe he lost the weight in the offseason, another year here, uh, and, and he has a better year. That wouldn't be the most surprising thing, especially given his, you know, pedigree as a prospect coming in. So, uh, no, I, I, I did like that. There was a couple other guys that I bet earlier in the summer that was more fun bets. I did end up breaking my rule and betting Will Anderson because I do think he is going to be a finalist. Uh, and just to have 
a guy that makes it to the you know the top three is, is good enough sweat for me. Uh, and maybe you get another bad year of kind of quarterback play like we had last year. And Will Anderson is actually a very much a contender. Uh, would be very surprised if he does, but at the time he was sixty to one, and now he's you know twenty to forty to one at most books. Yeah, the guy that that I kind of circled to that same light was, and this is kind of very much a a high risk, low reward type pick. But to your point about if you could win this many many games, I, I'm kind of high on what Miami could do this year. And mm-hmm. if Clemson's offense doesn't get it figured out, and Miami can end up winning the ACC and going you know eleven and two or something, and they're either in the college football playoff race or their discussion or whatever. Tyler Van Dyke, getting him around like 25-1 to 1 or something like that, I, I think is really interesting. But it's just it's tough when I look at the top of the Heisman because, like, you know, Bryce Young, I'm not going to bet on someone to repeat. And, and like I said, it's it's very seldom that you have the, the favorite actually win the award. So if I forced you to pick somebody who was in, like, the top three or four or five of the odds, who would you, who would you take? Yeah, honestly, it's probably C.J. Stroud, the betting favorite. I know a betting favorite hasn't won since Marcus Mariota in 2014, but – yeah, like you kind of said, Bryce Young, uh, not probably. It seems unlikely he's going to win the award two years in a row, uh, and so I think that's kind of why you've seen the odds drift uh, for him uh, and, and 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 improve for CJ Stroud. And, and so I, I think I would bet Stroud. I mean, this you know Iowa State's going to score forty plus points on any given night, uh, and so it, it's going to be hard not for him to rack up the numbers. Then again, I was a person who bet him last year uh, and felt like I had a pretty good chance until the end. So. Um, but no, I think I think it is CJ Stroud. He is the reason why it's the reason why he's the betting favorite. Um, but it's just generally not how I operate. I will bet a few different guys further down the board uh, and risk maybe a total of one unit on that, and I'll have a nice sweat throughout the year. And, and hopefully, one one guy or two gets close. Is there a week zero game coming up on this Saturday that you're most interested in, in getting something on? Uh, that not really. Uh, I, I've been kind of watching the, the, the betting odds, uh, kind of the Nebraska Northwestern game. Obviously that's the, the biggest game of week zero. I was watching that kind of move and I was waiting for it to get to the plus 14. And then it lasted for a total of 10 minutes at plus 14 out here. Uh, and so I was late to the party there and did not get there. So I haven't placed a week zero bet. That was one that I was, I was getting ready to bet at Northwestern plus 14, but now it's already back down. Uh, to 10 and a half, 11 and a half range. So I don't think it's going to go back there. Uh, maybe if Hawaii happens to get to plus 10, I would be very interested in that. Uh, but that has been trending all Vanderbilt ever since uh, it opened. I think it opened as a pick 'em at some places out here in Vegas. Uh, and now it's all the way up to plus nine and a half for Hawaii. So uh, if it got to the 10, that's enough key numbers that I think I would have to play and just to have some sort of sweat. But generally speaking, I, I've been just kind of betting week one games and trying to get ahead of the number there. Is there anything then for, for next week, for week one, that at this point in time you're, you're eyeing early on as people in Kansas are going to be able to bet on that first week? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good good question. Uh, Utah-Florida, that first game, uh, is kind of a marquee game. I, I quickly bet the under there um, just because I, I do have concerns about how Utah is going to replace kind of their, some of their offensive weapons uh, and then Florida in a new system. I'm not sure just how, how much they – they score that first night between the two teams. So I did under 53 there. I think it's down to 51, 51 and a half, somewhere around there. Uh, and to continue to sound like a broken record, I did bet Clemson minus 20 against Georgia Tech. Uh, and we'll know pretty quickly if, if DJU uh, can uh, can get something going because Georgia Tech shouldn't be able to stop them defensively. 
uh, and Georgia Tech shouldn't be able to score. So ideally, Clemson's going to win that game by 30 points. Uh, and if they don't, then I will be very concerned about uh, my, my Clemson stance right away. Uh, uh, other than that, you know, there's a couple other kind of non-Power 5 teams that, that really jump out. But those, those are the main games for week one that I, I, I'm interested in right, right away. He is Shane Jackson. Shane, I appreciate it as always, man, and uh, looking forward to, to be able to put some stuff on it legally here in Kansas along with you over there in Vegas. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy that Kansas got it. So good luck this football season. That was Shane Jackson. He uh, was just with WinBet. He's on his way to a, uh, a new job in the sports gambling world, which I don't believe he's announced yet, so I don't want to spoil anything for him. Uh, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. Four o'clock on your Friday. We got some RCST trivia. Final regular season matchup coming up here in about 15, 20 minutes from right now. But before we do that, the stock market has closed. And we're going to tell you what's up, what's down. Maybe something's the same. Let's get on to our sports stock market this week with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. First things first, if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Stock's down on ever going to sleep again because... A, I'm, I'm mad that you put this on. I didn't. I didn't need to see this. I was having a good Friday. I was. I was living. Living life. Mm. And then you, you just won't said, be anymore. You, you just post this link. Just so reckless. A sleeping man cut off his genitals while dreaming of chopping meat. So I have lots of questions. Okay. Firstly, this would have been good for uh, Florida Man Madlibs. Actually, <laughs> now that I think about it, it would have been. Uh, I have a lot of questions. Firstly, like. I have to assume this guy is a is a butcher by profession or mm-hmm. something, right? Like what? Like let me let me like let me rephrase the question. Have you personally ever had a dream about chopping meat? No, I have not. <laughs> so you know, do you have any like reoccurring dreams? Um, okay, seriously, do you seriously want me to tell you the craziest dream I ever had? Yes, yes. It's it's really crazy. In the dream, I'm the president. I'm the president of the United States, and a little okay, a little backstory before I get into this. For me, me personally, like showers is where I have a lot of my great ideas, okay. which I know is like pretty normal for most yeah. people. Like, like I'm in the shower thinking, you know, I have a good idea, right? So in the dream, I'm the president, and I'm in the situation room, and there's some unknown crisis happening. I don't in the in the dream, like the crisis, whatever it was, I don't know mm-hmm. what it was, right? But there was some crisis, so I'm in the situation room, and for whatever reason, my two most trusted advisors are Jimmy Carter and George W. Bush. Okay, okay, they're in there, right? <laughs> And we're trying to figure out how to fix All this crisis. Team. We're yeah. trying to figure out how to fix this crisis. So in the dream, I'm like, fellas, I'm going to take a shower because that's how I always <laughs> like, that's how I always figure out things. So in the dream, I go and and in the dream, it's like a presidential this shower. This sounds like you're in a show where you have like a superpower and the superpower <laughs> is you become like the smartest person in the world when you jump in the shower. Okay. So imagine a sh- like the imagine a shower like the size of our studio. Okay. Like a giant oh, wow. presidential shower, okay. right? And I'm in there and Jimmy Carter and George Bush are also in there with me to discuss because obviously I have the great idea but I have to tell somebody, mm-hmm. right? So they're so I'm I'm in the shower, like showering. And they're in there with me, but they still have their suits on. So they're just standing in the shower with me <laughs> while I'm coming up with an idea to fix this crisis. That's the dream. 
Wow. And you have that one a lot? No, no. I had it oh, once. Oh, you had it once. But okay, because okay, I normally don't remember my dreams. But this is the one that I remembered, obviously, because it was, I guess, so crazy. But I, yeah, that's the craziest I've ever had. I have a couple. I have one that I never actually know what's happening. I just can piece together a couple things. There's this one scene where I'm like walking over this grassy hill. There's another scene where I get on a uh, hot air balloon. And then there's another okay. scene like down the road where I end up in space somehow. This, this sounds like the like great storyline for a James Bond movie. Well, but I don't actually ever know what's happening. I just like wake up and I'm like, oh, I had that dream again. And then I immediately forget what happened. Um, oh, that's interesting. I also have one that occurs. It pretty much is like on the clock. Once every year, about a week or two before March Madness, okay. I have a dream that the selection show happened and then March Madness like immediately started right after and I'm like freaking out because I'm like, oh no, I didn't get my brackets in. Like I'm not going to win any of my bracket pools and like uh, I, that one's that one's just stressful. Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. But yeah, I've never had one where I'm chopping meat. This does like <laughs> happen to people who are on, I, I want to say it's Ambien where they like. They'll literally. Yeah, so obviously the guy was like sleepwalking, right? I assume. I I guess uh, because I I doubt he could just like you know cut it off with his hands. It's not like he's uh, yeah. So like Edward in, my, in my mind, like he was having a dream about being a butcher because yeah. I assume maybe that's what he was. He got or up, whatever. He got up, went to like his kitchen or whatever, and was like, "Oh, I'm gonna chop up this beef or whatever." Grabbed his knife and just went to town. I guess. Yeah, he said he didn't know how he picked up the knife, but he woke up confused in a pool of his own blood and in extreme pain. Wow, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that he was in extreme pain. <laughs> That's brutal. It's just like, because you can't do anything good to control that. Do you start exactly, like, tying exactly. yourself like, what do you, down? Yeah, what do you do? Like, like you're what's a werewolf? <laughs> I think that's the only way you can do it. Okay, next story. Uh, stock is <laughs> up on Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is the highest rated quarterback in the preseason. According to Pro Football Focus, buy your Kenny Pickett stocks now. Over under, mm. should you sell eight. them if the so stock you, is up? I guess oh, that's I guess just that's a, a way of uh, viewing it. I guess that's a good point. Do you think it's going to so get if higher? He's suck, then you should sell. Mm -hmm. Man, we are bad stock market advisors. <laughs> buy when it's high, <laughs> sell when it's low. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, that's a good question. That's a good point. Because, like, if you think he's going to mm. start for the Steelers at some point this season, like replace Trubisky, you would. You would buy, right? Unless he's going to start and just be that bad. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. I guess don't come to us for your stock market advice. No. Bad at portfolios. <laughs> uh, stock is down on the San Francisco Giants offending their own fan base. All right. So, Derek, you have yes. more of a connection to this than I do. Yeah. So, I found this. And basically, the Giants were selling some shirts in their team store. They were like straight black shirts with orange lettering and numbering that just said San Fran. Yes. Which apparently San Fran is something that San Franciscans, San Franciscoians, yeah. San, <laughs> <Siskins. Yeah. laughs> San Franciscans, apparently they hate that. They hate, yeah. they hate the term San Fran. Yeah, yeah. So I have, uh, I, I was born uh, San Ramon, which is like an area just outside of, of San Francisco. I'm, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, a, you know, family in the area, everything like that. I will tell you, yes, there is a big majority of people who do not like it when you use the term San Fran. And I've seen some of the the comments of, of people that anytime someone will say it, they'll be like, hey, we don't call your city Los Ange. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> But I guess my thing, I'm not one of those people. I just don't really care. It's just like, yeah. if you want to call it whatever you want, you, you know, I say San Fran all the time, even though I well, have the ties there. And there there is a chunk of people who are the same way. My, my thing is like, I'm sitting here in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm -hmm. If I say San Fran, what are they going to do about it? Yeah. 
Well, are they gonna come fly over here and fight me? But like, is that worth a fight? Like, <laughs> are you really that mad about somebody saying like, how does that how does that disrespect you? I don't understand. That's what I don't get. Like, there's certain things in this world that people get so mad about, and I'm just sitting there like, why? And that is one of those where it's like, yeah. I don't care what you call it. It means the same thing. Like. If somebody comes in and goes to the store and is, you know, they're like, hey, I want to get a donut. But instead of calling it a donut, they're like, hey, do you have a Don? I'd be <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but, you know, I'll ask a question. What do you mean? They're like a donut. And I'm like, okay, well, listen, actually, whatever. one time I, I went to I was in Brooklyn one time. I went okay. to New York one time. or I, I guess it wasn't Brooklyn. It was somewhere in New York. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where it was. And I was in line because I, I was there. So I was like, I'll go to some, you know, like hole in the wall type, whatever mm-hmm. New York place for lunch. Right. I was in line. A lady behind me, like who was clearly from New York, I had an entire conversation with her for like a good five, ten minutes. I do not know a single word that she said <laughs> because of her accent. She was like, she was speaking, I was speaking. I was like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, I couldn't tell you one word she said. I didn't understand anything she was saying. Couldn't tell you anything she was saying. Is that? No, you know, I don't. I don't want to make this sound mean. I was just gonna say like it. No, whatever. Regional dialects in America. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your le- what's your what's your least favorite? Um I mean, I, I think I have to go with New York. I couldn't understand him. Yeah. I couldn't even understand what she was saying. I mean, this was like a I like a good old, southern drawl. This was like a 60-year-old lady clearly had maybe she'd never left the state of New York in her whole life, I don't know. <laughs> and again, we had a whole conversation. Mhm. Don't know what she said. Do you think she was sitting there the same way? She probably walked away and was like, no, I because, just had this whole conversation no, with this. No, because, listen, <laughs> people from the Midwest, we we notoriously, you know, the, the Midwest saying is Mid- Midwest people mm-hmm. don't really have a quote-unquote accent mm-hmm. per se, right? So I don't think she had any problem understanding but what I was But to her, you, she, you did have an accent because <laughs> it was different. Uh, I mean, I, I guess. Honestly, the thing that really annoyed me was so many people – when I was in New York and even traveling generally, like if I had something for KU on, they would go, oh, Kentucky. <laughs> like, dude, what? No, not Kentucky. Are you kidding? No. All right. Uh, next story. Stock is up on the dinosaurs possibly being back to murder us there. all. Did you see this? Okay. I didn't There's see There's a massive this. drought going on in the west, in the southwest. And there was a riverbed in Texas that I guess has dried up for the first time in forever. And when it dried up, it was revealed that there are very, very large dinosaur footprints perfectly, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, perfectly captured mm-hmm. in the dirt from like 100 million years ago, whatever, right? Couldn't someone just like is, dig this but out? But the thing is, they look too fresh to me. That's what I'm saying. They, they look too preserved and too, too fresh. So for all I know is there might be a, a, a T-Rex running around in... in West Texas right now. And listen, I've been to West Texas. <laughs> I would will- I'd be willing to believe that there's some stuff running around in West Texas that I- I've never even seen before. I don't know. But yeah, I'm I'm very concerned by this. And so many people are taking the approach of like, oh, this is so fascinating. Oh, this is so cool. Like, what do you mean? We're about to be killed. I think we could take the dinos. Really? I could take down a... You're telling me five Jurassic Park no. movies haven't convinced you that we would lose to, di- to dinosaurs? Uh, see, I would I would or be... Six. How many Jurassic Park movies are there? Six? So seven? I actually would be all for um, Jurassic Park. Just don't create the, like, carnivores. Or don't create the... what? Who in Jurassic Park was like, you know what? 
Let's create these pterodactyls where they can literally fly off the island whenever they want. Like that was that was stupid. That's not okay. Smart. But even great still, brontosaurus. No, the brontosaurus. It's giant, like five hundred thousand so. feet tall. No, yeah, well you don't don't walk under it. Uh, get a triceratops in there. A, what is it? Stegosaurus, Ankylosaurus. Those are equally as dangerous, I think. No, but they're 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 uh, plant eaters. They're what is it? Herbivores? Her, yeah, I almost said omnivore, but I think that's both. Omnivore right? is both. Omnivore okay. is both. Um, herbivore. Herbivore. No, I, I'm pro dinosaur. What if what if we need dinosaurs? What if for what purpose? We we have survived literally thousands upon thousands of years without I mean, the dinosaurs. Food shortage, and eventually we start running out of like we had we how, had a chicken how are wing shortage, right? Solve our food we had a chicken wing shortage. Good luck having a shortage if we're having pterodactyl wings, right? I mean that feeds a whole family <laughs> with one wing. But would it taste the same? Maybe better. There's more meat on it. Okay, I do not want to bring back I mean, dinosaurs not. just simply to test whether or not a pterodactyl <laughs> tastes better than a chicken. No, thank you. Uh, I don't think PETA can get mad at me for that. Dinosaurs don't live anymore, so it's fine right now. But if they come back, I could get canceled for that, so I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, stock is down already on the Cowboys. Because Tyron Smith, the all-everything tackle for them, tore his hamstring. He's out until at least December. Tore it completely off the bone. Yeah, it was. It was actually kind of. It was kind of disturbing, actually, reading about what happened. Because, like, imagine like your your leg just tearing off the bone like that. Like that sounds really bad. No, it is. And even when they were talking about like the surgery and stuff, and how he could come back in December, I was like, dude, if your stuff is torn off the bone. <laughs> Like I, don't, I would probably never walk again. Yeah, I'm never coming back. He's made billions of dollars, and he, he he's not young. He's been around the league for a while. He could probably just hang it up. But yeah, so the the, the Cowboys already down before the season started. It, this is this is the perfect Cowboys trend. It's like they'll have a year where they make the playoffs, and then yep. they have all these weapons, and it's like, oh, they, you know, they could do it. And then it's like the next year they go eight and eight or seven and nine or something goes wrong like this. Stock is up on hot dogs. It is the fad right now. It's summer. People grilling up hot dogs, boiling up hot However you cook your hot dogs. Also, we had a guy at a New York Mets baseball game buy a hot dog, and he turned it into a straw. It was disgusting. He poked a hole through it with his actual straw and then put the hot dog, took the straw out, I mean, I guess put it in his drink. I guess if he's trying to be more environmentally friendly, not use straws. But he used the straw to create the hole in the hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay, my bad for just trying to come up with some reason why anybody would willingly choose to do that. I mean, this guy's done it many times. If it, like, no, he, it I, wasn't I even from him video, like showing it. Somebody else was like behind him. From taking the a video, picture, it was video. clear that this is something this guy mm-hmm. does on a regular basis. He loves it. Yes. So now, this latest story, Oscar Mayer, you know, everybody knows Oscar Mayer, the, the hot dog yep. company. Yep. They're going to sell a cold dog, which what that is, no, it's not just a cold hot dog. It is a hot dog flavored popsicle. No, thank you. Being sold for $2 at Frozen Desserts Company pop bar locations in New York City, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Long Beach. I wish they were selling them in Kansas. Not that it's something I want to try, but like, I would love to have this as a hey, if you lose this, like, if you lose game picks this week or, or this year, or like, you know, I lose the Florida Man Mad Libs, like, I have to eat a cold dog. I have to eat the, well, the hot dog popsicle. Let me tell you something. It it looks as disgusting as you think it looks. Yeah, it doesn't even look like a, a hot dog. It looks like a like, yeah, it's like rectangle of bologna with mustard yeah, on it. It's bad. It's 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 really it's not good. 
I, I was going to say, I, I would argue that this is actually stocks down on hot dogs. Mm. This has been a bad week for hot dogs. <laughs> Get them in the news. Uh, any mean, publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> I suppose. Okay. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We have our final regular season matchup for RCST Trivia. Coming up next, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. We have one trivia matchup today. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and the Kansas Lottery. Um, we do have an announcement to make. I know I mentioned this yesterday. I talked a little bit about it on, on social media the other day, whether we were going to expand to eight teams. We're going to stick with four. That's what we talked about this whole way through. We're not going to change it up now. Next year, we are going to expand to eight for the playoffs. So I can announce that now. But for this year, we're going to stick with the four, and then we'll have the two other bowl games. Our matchup today is Blake Farrell, our third-ranked team, taking on Ryan Schlesner. And we have four bowls upcoming. So the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl and the Johnny's Tavern Bowl, those are both the playoff bowls. And then we have the other bowl games, which are you know still a big deal, New Year's Six Bowls and everything, is the Jayhawk Trophy Bowl and the Kansas Lottery Bowl. Blake, if you lose this matchup, then you would play in either the Jayhawk Trophy Bowl or the Kansas Lottery Bowl. And the prizes are the same no matter what bowl you go into. So uh, if there's one thing you want above the rest, don't worry. Everybody's getting the same thing. For making the bowl games, you get more if you win your bowl game or whatnot. And Justin would go to the playoff if you lose. So Justin is rooting for you, Ryan. Um, if the other way goes, if Blake, you come out with a victory, you would be in a head-to-head tie with Justin, who you beat in the first matchup of the season. So you would move on to the playoffs, and Justin would play in a bowl game instead. So, Blake, I'll start with you here. The pressure is on. Uh, have you done any extra study and any extra preparation headed into this week? Uh, not really, just kind of the same as always, and hope I come out on top. <laughs> well, Ryan, uh, I, I know we talked last week about the newborn and everything. I don't know if, with you being 0-3, if that has led to you just studying less, or do you feel a responsibility for Justin here to, to try to put through a good effort? What has your preparation been like headed into this one? You know, it's been pretty consistent throughout week to week. Uh, we've had a tough season, but uh, I'm a big believer in big mo momentum and dropping that first game in overtime really put a damper on the season. Uh, I was hoping we could pull it off like like 2018 when we lost to Nickel State and then ended up having a, a decent season. And Obviously, we've had some extenuating circumstances off the field, but we're hoping we could put together our best performance today and, and ride some momentum into spring ball. Um, so I noticed Blake, you're wearing the, the Todd Reesing jersey. I noticed Ryan, you're wearing a jersey. Is that Todd Reesing as well? It's actually uh, Damon Patterson and okay. of him being on, on uh, both of your shows here in the last day or so. I love it. I saw the five digit, but I didn't see the one. So that's great. Yeah. Damon Patterson, if you missed it, you can check it out from yesterday's podcast or from uh, Locked on Jayhawks with me earlier today. Okay. So rules are clear. Uh, what happens to you, Blake, is clear, but. That does have to give you a little solace, Blake, right? That no matter what, I, I know you want to play in the playoff, but at the very least, if you lose, you are playing next week in a bowl game. Yeah, for sure. Nice to have at least one more week, so I'll take it. Okay. Well, uh, Ryan, since you're down on your luck with uh, the record, like you said, just kind of went into the tailspin after that close overtime loss, I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, opening coin toss here as, as at least a little bit of solace. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, well, first off, next time I'm in Lawrence, I'm going to bring you another quarter so that you don't have to keep using the app you're talking about, but I'm going to take Tails today. Well, it is Tails. You've you've picked up on the app as seemingly gone Tails more often than Heads, although the other day it was Heads both times. Okay, so do you want to go first, Ryan, or do you want to go second? Uh, let's go second. 
Okay, that means Blake, you were up first. We'll start in the first quarter of action here in the easy round. These are worth three points, our regular season finale for the football side of RCST Trivia. Blake, who was Kansas's head coach from 2015 to 2018, going just 6-42? and 42? That'd be David Beatty. Was David Beatty. That record is so ridiculously abhorrent. 6-42? and 42? Unbelievable. Okay. Blake. I'm sorry, Ryan, for you. Your first question. What head coach followed David Beatty going 3-18 and 18 in his two seasons at Kansas? Yeah, Mad Hatter himself, Les Miles. Yeah, Les Miles. Get a chance to see that stuff through because some off-the-field stuff. That is last season, a winless season. Okay, 3-3, three to three, the score into the second quarter of play, the medium round. These are worth six points. Blake, Todd Reesing set the Kansas record for most passing yards in one game with 498 of them in November of 2009 against what opponent? Missouri. You knew that one right away. I don't know if you're uh, inspired by the Todd Racing jersey or it's just hard to forget, which it kind of is. It's against Missouri, right? Okay. On to Ryan. Six-pointer for you. Todd Racing set the Kansas record for most passing touchdowns in one game with six of them in November of 2007 against what opponent? Just looking at this. Uh, Nebraska? That's right. Yeah, Nebraska, that one's super memorable because they scored 70-whatever points. It was touchdowns aplenty for everyone, and that allowed Todd Racing to get six passing touchdowns. Okay, 9-9 nine to nine is the score. We're at halftime into the third quarter of play. These are worth seven in the hard round of questions. Blake, for you. In KU's 2005 win over Nebraska that ended its 36-game losing streak to the Huskers, what Jayhawk receiver caught the first touchdown en route to a six-catch, 100-yard, and two-score game? Mark Simmons. Mark Simmons is the correct answer. He's popped up, I think, one or two other times in some other questions here, obviously different questions. That's a big seven for you. You take a 16 to nine lead. Ryan, you try to respond with a seven of your own. After Mark Simmons started the scoring in that 2005 win over Nebraska, the scoring was bookended, finished with 523 in the fourth quarter as what Jayhawk had a 40 yard pick six to seal the deal. Baines. Uh, Can I get some bonus points here? Sure. Give me Kevin Kevin Kane. I want some Heisman votes. That's right. That's smart. Take the Heisman voting, right? That is correct. Kevin Kane was the right answer there. Okay. We'll see if Scott gives you some uh, some bonus for that run right there. All right. So 16 to 9 is the score. We're going to the fourth quarter. These are worth eight in the really hard round. Blake, if you hit this, you get a really hard. That helps you for the Heisman. You get a perfect. That really helps you for the Heisman. And you secure the win. Otherwise, Ryan's going to have a chance to steal it with a really hard question and take a one-point win at the very end. So, Blake, if you hit this, 
It also clinches the division for you and secures your bid into the playoff. Blake, name this Jayhawk lineman who was all Missouri Valley Conference in 1921. Right. Just going with the last name, right? Yes. And unfortunately, is not right. The correct answer is Pete Jones. How could you forget Pete Jones, man? <laughs> All right. See, this is where radio, you don't get the... Uh, the look on Blake's face when I asked that question was, was fantastic. Okay, Ryan, you have a chance here to have Justin owe you all sorts of beers to steal the win, to go ahead, to get a really hard, put you maybe in the Heisman voting. So, Ryan, for you, name this Jayhawk lineman who was all Missouri Valley Conference in 1924. Green. <laughs> this does sound like a generic name. That's not bad. The correct answer, though, it would have been a generic name, so I would have actually made you had to guess the first name because if you would have guessed Smith, I would have said, what's the first name? It was Babe Smith. Babe Smith, the correct answer there. So, in the end, Blake, you come away with a 16-9 to victory. You have clinched your division. You are going on to the playoff. You finished 3-1 and with 72 points, which... I also believe the 72 points scored, I believe you have more points than anyone in the competition so far. Um, but I guess in the end, Blake, for you, because you end up in a in a two-way tie with uh, Justin Nichols at 3-1, and one, you beat him head-to-head -head in the first week in what was a very close, tightly contested matchup. So uh, just looking back, I, I don't remember what questions you got in that one, but uh, that was pretty important for you to get to this point. Oh, that was huge. I know Justin, Justin's incredible. He probably deserves to be in the playoff as well. So I feel bad that he's not in it, but um happy to be there. And yeah, looking forward to next week. And Blake, if, if the, cause in the end, it looks like the hard round was what decided things there. You obviously would have got the Kevin Kane one. So I'm curious from Ryan, your perspective, if it would have been switched the other way, even though Blake would have got the Kevin Kane one, would you have had the Mark Simmons one? Would have been my guess. That's the only receiver I, would have even been able to pull out of my hat. Not that I would have been as confident as he was in saying it, but yeah, that would have been my guess. So who knows? Maybe it would be an overtime right now or something like that. Um, but Ryan, you're unable to come away with a victory here, but you had a couple close matchups. You almost win this one over a team who's in the playoff. You, you mentioned the overtime matchup in the, in the first go around. I know the record doesn't say it, but I think you're close to making that jump, right? It's it's what we talk about with KU football. Have that competitive season and then make the jump to the bowl game. Maybe that's in store for you next year. Yeah, I mean, four, four one possession losses. You know, we had a mid-season coaching change bringing in my daughter and didn't get quite to adjust to her scheme fully. But uh, I, one quick story I wanted to share, Derek, that just highlights your point about if it's it's easy if you know it, right? Last week in the Wednesday matchup, the two very hard questions were about Jordan Tavai and Kiba Agostino. Yep. And I've told you before that I worked uh, for the football team under Charlie Weiss. I was in the video department. And during that 2013 season, my job was actually filming 
defensive lineman drills every day for five months. So uh, it's just one of those things. If I get that on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday, I would have beat Justin. Uh, you know, if I make a different decision in overtime the first week, you know, maybe maybe this division looks a little bit different. Uh, again, no excuses. It's just a crazy event. So thanks so much for putting it on. I can't wait to be in the booth in a week. No, I mean, that's that's a good point to, you know, bring up that the idea all of you guys who have entered this know your stuff to a different level. It's just sometimes uh, the luck of the questions, and, and that's part of it. It's like it's football. You know, you never know which way if somebody fumbles the ball, who's going to recover it. So uh, in the end, Ryan, good job. Blake, do you have any words for uh, whoever your, your playoff opponent's going to be next week or, or anything you're going to do extra to get ready for next week? Uh, no words my, for my opponents. I just want to say this was a very tough division. Like everyone was in every single matchup, so really tough division and happy to come out on top. And, yeah, definitely looking forward to next week. All right, that's Blake Farrell and Ryan Schlesner. Guys, good job, and uh, Blake, see you next week. Bring it home, Blake. See you. Thank you very much. Good luck next year. Blake comes away with the 16-9 wins. Justin will head to a bowl game. Blake gets the playoff bid, which means our four playoff teams will we'll come out with uh, the rankings either sometime tonight or sometime this weekend. Michael Plank wins the Thursday group. Out of the Wednesday group, you get Kyle Coffey, who is the only undefeated team. Blake Farrell wins the Tuesday group, and Blake McFarland wins the Monday group. Some are asking if Blake is just the dominant trivia name here. I'll, I'll say this. It'll be interesting what happens with who gets the number one seed. You would automatically think Kyle Coffey is the only undefeated team. He should get it. But also, Blake has seven more points than Kyle. Should that matter? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see who ends up getting We have three people voting on, on this, so we'll see who ends up uh, being where in the polls. And then as far as the, the bowl teams... We have Aaron Mayer out of the Monday group. We have Justin Nichols out of the Tuesday group. Out of the Wednesday group, we have Ryan Brown. And out of the Thursday group, we have Ben Wilson. So we'll have all those playoff matchups and, and bowl matchups and stuff for you sometime later this weekend. As far as those bowl games go, like I said, the playoff bowls are going to be the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl and the Johnny's Tavern Bowl. The other bowl games are going to be the Jayhawk Trophy Bowl and the Kansas Lottery Bowl. Um, the prizes are the same. So everyone who made a bowl game now or the playoff, which the playoffs are bowl games in themselves. So everybody who made a bowl game is going to get a gift card to the 23rd Street Brewery and to Johnny's Tavern. You're going to get an engraved water bottle slash tumbler, whatever you want to call it, from Jayhawk Trophy. You are going to get a pair of tickets to the Kansas Lottery 150 and Kansas Lottery 300 at the Kansas Speedway coming up on September 10th. And then for the two people who win your playoff matchup, well, I guess I should say this. Everybody who wins a bowl, so if you win a bowl or your playoff matchup, you get another pair of tickets to the Kansas Lottery 300 and 150 at the Kansas Speedway, meaning instead of just a pair, you're going to get a four-pack to bring your whole family or, or whole group of friends or whatever it is. If you win your playoff matchup, you're also going to get one extra gift card to the 23rd Street Brewery, and then the winner is going to get the championship trophy from Jayhawk Trophy and some KU football gear thanks to 23rd Street Brewery. So be on the lookout for all that stuff. We enjoy doing this. This is RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and Kansas Lottery with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Joined now by Luke Fedlum, kind of an NIL specialist here. We, we had him on the show, I don't know, several months ago to talk NIL and whatnot. And, 
You know, the NCAA has made it clear there's no pay for play as part of this. So how does NIL work if a player, like you just had the LSU quarterback, this happened a couple weeks ago, where he had all these NIL deals. I I don't know how those were structured, where it was, you know, weekly pay or, or whatever, they can cancel it or whatnot. But how does that work if a player basically just takes the money and then just retires and never plays or transfers to a different school and you know already has that NIL money. Is there anything that businesses can do, or is that just kind of the prerogative of the player? Well, first, thanks so much for having me back. And, and it really goes back to what does the contract say? So when we initially started on the NIL space back in 2021, there were, there were some big uh, announcements around different athletes who had transferred schools and what impact would that have on contracts. So the contract itself on a name, image, and likeness deal can include language that if the student-athlete is no longer a student-athlete at a particular institution, as in they transfer, then there could be an out or a termination right for the company or for the brand. Now, if it comes down to a player deciding that they no longer want to just play the game anymore, play their sport and just want to kind of retire from their sport of football or basketball or whatever it may be, then again, it still goes back to the contract to determine what what really is the – What's the impetus behind the contract? What are the services that that student athlete is providing? Because if it's based on social media and that athlete has, you know, a significant social media following and, and they're doing social media influencing, well, the, the brand or the company might actually get a bump because of the interest of that player having left the game and more people either following them to hear what they have to say about why they left, et cetera, that could be of benefit to the company. So, again, it all goes back to what does the contract actually say? That's very interesting. Uh, do you think that, I don't know, like is this ever something that you think is going to be on the horizon here that a business might, if something like that happens, try to sue the 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 college kid for like leaving or, or transferring away if they feel like it, it hurt their business? And do you think there would be any grounds there? I don't think they, I don't really see businesses, well, first of all, people could sue for just a myriad reasons, right? So uh, from, from that perspective, you know, who knows? But generally speaking, it, it comes back to what are the mutual obligations within the contract? So if the student athlete has obligations to make appearances or sign autographs or do social media influencing, as long as that student athlete is upholding their end of the contract, then they're not really in breach of contract. And because name, image, and likeness cannot be based on performance on the field or participation within their sport, then it really would be hard-pressed for a company or brand to find that the student-athlete somehow harmed their business as long as the student-athlete was still providing the services that they were required under the contract. I'm just like envisioning a kid who transferred away and then he's like, oh, I got to head back to, you know, whatever state or, or city my, my college was in. He goes to an autograph signing and nobody shows up because they're just like, you transferred away. Why? You know, I don't know. Yeah, and in those instances, that's really why, and I've seen many contracts that include language that if you transfer schools, that that, is a term, that that can cause termination of the contract. Because, again, if you happen to be going to a school that's on the East Coast and a, re, and a local company wants to do a deal with you, but then you transfer to the West Coast, uh, there's, there's a, a significant loss of benefit for the actual business owner. So having language in there now that allows for a termination right if the, that student-athlete transfer, 
first. That's what we're more uh, commonly seeing in this space. I know you mentioned it's not allowed to, you know, have play, uh, pay for play, essentially, or, or based on their performance or whatnot. But what's really to stop a team from, I guess, or, or not a team, a, a business or, or something from telling a kid that, hey, if you come here, we're going to give you this deal? Like, where does that fall in the gray area of what's allowed and what's not? So under the new guidance set forth by the NCAA, I mean, it's maybe about two months ago, they talked specifically about uh, NIL collectives um, as well as kind of bringing collectives under the definition of boosters and talking specifically about how name, image, and likeness cannot be used to recruit prospective student-athletes. So institutions and schools should not be using name, image, and likeness promises of name, image, and likeness deals to a student-athlete to recruit them, just like boosters, collectives shouldn't be doing that as well. That being said, we all know what college sports has been like, and we know that there are teams and institutions, you know, coaches and others that maybe bend the rules and some that maybe uh, break the rules prior to name, image, and likeness. And so you can imagine that's why here recently, just last week, the end of last week, we had the NCAA sending out an email from the head of regulatory affairs and head of enforcement talking about how they need institutions' help in enforcing the rules that do exist around name, image, and likeness and assisting in any investigations that they're conducting. But do you think schools would actually do that, or do you think it would more so be like rival schools who would maybe want to rat out their opponent? Well, I think we'll most certainly see that occur, uh, but th- this is really hard, and, and I, I get it. I understand why they even sent out that email last week, because it is hard to investigate and enforce this, because all that's required is that a student-athlete provides a service, and for that service, uh, they get paid for that. There's no limitations on amount. There are no, there's no language uh, around what, you know, that it has to be fair market value. So, so this idea that all a student-athlete has to do is actually provide that service, and for that they can get paid. And because that's a private transaction between a student-athlete and a third party, not a student-athlete and the institution, it makes it that much more difficult to really investigate what, what is going on there. Now, if it's for a prospective student-athlete, then it's a matter of, okay, you know, who, who did the deal kind of come through? through what company or what brand um, were their promises made. But again, you're going and trying to just investigate, ask questions, and inquire of the company and the brand and that student-athlete and their family. This is a very, very difficult area for the NCAA and schools to enforce. We're talking with Luke Fedlam here, sports law, a non-agent sports law attorney and NIL expert. Uh, one thing that I've been curious with with college football that – I, I would kind of love to see. Like, obviously, you have these bowl game sponsors who pay big money to have the the name of the bowl game and have these commercials on TV and have the logo and whatnot. Do you think that could be a plausible idea with, you know, how many kids have, have kind of skipped bowl games over the past couple of years? And, and maybe it doesn't apply for, you know, if you're going to be a first-round pick, that's still millions of dollars. And I don't know if you would get paid that by the bowl, but that you could have these bowl games start maybe paying the the players themselves to participate because they want more viewership of their bowls. I think we absolutely could see that occur where uh, the title sponsor of a particular bowl game, uh, company ABC, uh, decides to do NIL deals with the teams that are participating in that bowl game. And for that, there's a requirement of promoting it, etc. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is that they can't 
force the player to then play in the bowl game. They can't say that uh, if you don't play in this game, you know, if, if you have to play in this game as condition to this deal, uh, because you can't have, again, pay for play. Uh, but you could see, I could see a situation where the company or brand is going to have questions with that particular athlete that they want to do a deal with to determine if they're going to play in it or not and offer up a uh, name, image, and likeness deal as potentially an incentive to participate. Now, to your point, you're absolutely right. Your first round, maybe even second and third round folks who are locked in that are, you know, if it's an inconsequential or, or maybe a not-so-well-known bowl game, you know, those players may want to opt out because they want to train for the draft and, and, and the combine and start to get his, you know, the highest draft stock possible. And doing a deal for a few thousand dollars maybe isn't exactly what would be beneficial to them. But I think we're going to see that happen. We saw it actually happen last year a little bit with some of the um, some basketball tournaments where some of the holiday tournaments especially uh, were getting student-athletes who were participating in those games to promote uh, you know, the game and do some social media influencing and thereby getting some deals for it. So I think we'll definitely see it in the football space. One thing I'm curious on with NIL, you know, when you when you look at professional sports, obviously you can just quickly Google online, like, oh, what's the contract? What's this guy making and everything? And, you know, I, I think it'd be cool to kind of see like who's making what, who's at the leaderboard of, of NIL money and stuff. But I can also see the downside of it, right? You don't want, um, I guess, some of these college kids getting – uh, like, you know, if he's making a lot of money and he's not performing well, you don't you, you kind of want that protection in between there. So I don't know. Is there is there somewhere that is going to be or is already tracking kind of who's making what right now? There there is no national database, um, you know, or countrywide kind of database of name, image and likeness deals. Uh, there have been some who have talked about trying to make that happen, but it's it will be virtually impossible and here's why so right now most states and schools uh policy around name image and likeness requires student athletes to disclose their deals and we know having talked to student athletes at schools all across the country that not all student athletes are disclosing their deals to the school's compliance department so on top of that, those, those disclosure requirements you know, are oftentimes based on two or three or more different platforms, different companies, Open Doors, Influencer, and others, who um, are the platforms by which student-athletes can disclose their deals. So there really is no kind of national uh, repository of those deals. And the other piece, too, especially um, being a sports lawyer and a contract lawyer in particular, you know, when I negotiate these contracts and read, read these contracts, there, are, there is very specific language around confidentiality because what you don't want and we see this at the pro level as well what you don't want is you know everyone to know that well this player got paid x dollars per signature per autograph um on this on this trading card deal you know maybe they got five dollars per card that they signed whereas this player got seven and they happen to be on the same team and now all of a sudden you know everybody's trying to negotiate more because they know now know what those terms are so most endorsement deals even prior to name image and likeness have maintained confidentiality requirement and I think we'll continue to see that. One thing that I've found unique is you have a few kids, like I, I think Amani Bates has a shoe deal with, I, I can't remember if it was Nike or, or whoever. Uh, Mikey Williams is a high school recruit, one that, mm-hmm. that KU is, is pretty in on here, and, and he has a shoe deal with Puma right now. Um, so what happens in these cases where some of these guys who have signed, like for instance, if Mikey Williams were to come to, to Kansas, and I think... I don't know if there's any college teams that do have a, a, a deal with Puma, so that would mean pretty much wherever he goes, like he's going to be, I don't know, kind of in, in conflict with, you know, these. Uh, you have Adidas paying all this money to Kansas or Under Armour paying all this money to Texas Tech or wherever he goes. 
to where part of the reason they're paying all that money to the school is so that the kids wear all their stuff. But how does that work? How does that work when a kid mm-hmm. has a deal like that? Like, is he going to be wearing Pumas at the game? Like, how, how does that kind of conflict work? So there has to be language in the contract that he signed, and I haven't I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that there's language in there that states that um, if you know whenever he goes to college, that he's going to have to wear the school-sponsored uh, apparel brand sneakers for all in in the apparel all around for all uh, school sports related activities so traveling to games uh practice games themselves post game press conference and news conference that's going to be a requirement because you can't a school can't allow for a student athlete to force the school into breaching their contract with the apparel company if the school happens to be a nike school and a, and a, a student athlete wants to wear Puma because of a contract they have, that's not going to work out. And the school can't be forced into breaching their contract because these contracts are multi-million dollar contracts. So it, I'm sure that there's language that says that you would basically in college, he would just wear Puma on on his personal time. So on his personal, you know, Instagram and, and social media and on his personal time, he'd be able to wear what he wants. That's, that's certainly interesting. That, that makes it I don't know. That makes me almost wonder, like, why would a shoe company get involved with a player in college? But I don't know. I guess it would maybe be to try to reserve them once they they do go pro after that. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Because think about it. Shoe companies, and this is really fascinating, because shoe companies are the only real entities that are with student athletes from, I mean, like, basically middle school, right, and high school, AAU, all the way through college and all the way into the pros. So when a when a uh, apparel company identifies or shoe company identifies that athlete, they they probably could care less about what Mikey Williams does when he's in college as much as they care about making sure that they have him locked in uh, once he turns pro. And that's where, you know, the true value for them is going to be. Well, the last thing I got for you, we, we heard the comments last week from Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren where he was on HBO's Real Sports, and he kind of mentioned about, like, the conference down the line maybe paying players if that does come into effect at some point, would that have an effect on NIL at all? I don't know that that would really have an effect on name, image, and likeness, although it may cause some student-athletes to say, uh, I'm getting paid now. I don't need to worry about going out and trying to find deals. Your athletes that are the elite of the elite that are most likely going to be going pro or that happen to have a significant social media following, they're going to still do their deals because they can and because deals will get presented to them. But you know, the, the idea of student-athletes sharing in, in media deals or sharing in revenue, um, that may stop some student-athletes from engaging but I think we'll, we'll continue to have name, image, and likeness. It's not something that will just go away because now you know, student-athletes are going to you know, potentially be able to put some money in their pocket from some of these really you know, massive media deals. He is Luke Fedlum. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Luke Fedlum, F-E-D-L-A-M. He is a non-agent sports law attorney and NIL expert. Luke, I appreciate the time as always, man. Always uh, love having you on. It's, it's great stuff. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to coming back again soon. That was Luke Fedlum once again. You can give him a follow at Luke Fedlum on Twitter. He is a non-agent sports law attorney and NIL expert. Really cool getting to talk with Luke on the occasions that uh, we have the chance there. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.